It's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. As Mike said, we are uh, taking a quick break from Hebrews. It's going to take about four weeks. Um, and we're going to spend some time uh, talking about what we see in Leviticus chapter 23. And uh, the reason is because on Tuesday in Israel and Jews around the world are celebrating Rosh Hashanah. And basically, that basically means Rosh is head of, Ha is the, and Shana is year. So it's head of the year or the Jewish New Year. Uh, we'll, we'll delve into that more uh, definitively uh, next Sunday, but we thought it might be a great idea to sort of take uh, an opportunity to talk about what this all means. What's, what's it all about? Oh. Hey, good morning. Did y'all get any? Did y'all get? Oh, perfect. Awesome. Awesome. So um, with that, before we get started, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but you are also our God, and you have brought us into this fellowship. Lord, we are so, so pleased and just so overjoyed to know you as Father, to know you as Lord, uh, to know your Son as Savior, to know your Spirit as indwelling and filling us. And so, Lord, we are so grateful uh, for this day. You have brought us to this day, and Lord, you have blessed us and you have sustained us. So we ask right now that you would open up your word, help us understand, help us to apply, and help us to walk in a renewed path and a renewed spirit with you. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen, amen. amen. All right, so let's, uh, let's talk about some, some fun stuff. Let's, let's uh, do some language 101, Hebrew 101, if you will. Uh, anybody know, what is Jesus' name in Hebrew? Anybody? Yeshua, absolutely. You know, the word Yeshua means salvation. And the first time we see that word, actually, we see this in Genesis a couple of times. Uh, It's actually very interesting because Jacob on his deathbed, as he is blessing his sons, he talks about God bringing his Yeshua. And so we also know that the Bible points to or alludes to Yeshua in Genesis chapter 3. We've been talking about that a couple of times when God says, hey, I'm going to bring forth a savior for the world through the seed of the woman. And and so uh, Yeshua also is uh, another name, um, believe it or not, that you might recognize. Uh, We see him in another place. We see him in a guy named Joshua. Joshua actually would be the transliteration of Yeshua. Uh, So just kind of fun, interesting stuff. Uh, Okay, how about another Hebrew word? Uh, How do uh, Israelis or how do Jews greet each other when they say like, hello, how are you doing? Anybody want to take a wild guess? Shalom. shalom. All right. Shalom. Shalom. All right. So there you go. So we got 
two Hebrew words uh, checked off. You guys are making it A. You're doing great with your uh, Hebrew 101. I'm very proud of you. I guess that means I'm a good teacher, right? <laughs> All right, so, um, so the title of this course is Moed, the appointed times of the Lord, Moed. Um, so it reminds me, when we start talking about Hebrew or Jewish uh, customs and, and feasts and all this stuff, you know, like, well, what does this mean? You know, why do you have this up here? And when we came in, you probably saw a menorah, probably saw a seven candle menorah. You probably saw a nine candle menorah. You probably saw what they call a, a, a kippah, right? Or it's like you know, a little, little hat that a lot of Jews, Jewish men will wear that you'll see that. Um, what does all this mean? You know, and maybe you also saw two little olive tree um, cups as well. Um, well, basically, when we talk about these things, a lot of times we have, over the course of time, sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally, there has been a separation, if you will, between uh, Christians and Jews. And, and, and that's intentional because we know that the Jews rejected Messiah. Jesus said, if you had known uh, what your day, your appointed day was, if you had known who I am and, and why I was coming, you would have recognized him, but they didn't recognize him, so they rejected Messiah. So God, uh, Baal tells us in Romans that God has set aside Israel temporarily, and he has brought forth, he's uh, brought in the church, and the church is the bride of Christ. And so uh, the Lord is developing and gathering a bride from the nations, not just the nations, but also from Israel, because we know that the first Christians were Jews as well, but God is gathering gathering a, a bride for his son. And we're a part of that, praise the Lord. Yeah, it's awesome. We are the bride of Christ. As a guy, sometimes it's a little hard for me to say that, that I'm the bride of Christ. But it's a reality. I just got to live with it, you know? So I'm the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. We're all the bride of Christ. Praise the Lord. And um, so a lot of times, though, but there, over the years, there's been this separation. And there have been pogroms where in Russia, where uh, Russians have deliberately persecuted Jews. Uh, there's been the Spanish Inquisition where uh, Jews were made to convert or die or, or other horrible things. And so there's been sort of this uh, unintentional and sometimes intentional uh, division or divorce from where our faith comes from. And so it reminds me of one of my favorite movies. You have to forgive me because I used to be a youth pastor. But one of my favorite movies of all time, Nacho Libre. And there's this awesome scene, hilarious scene. Uh, so our protagonist has gone into the city uh, to get some chips where he's jumped on and uh, the chips are stolen. And so now he's cooking dinner because his, he's responsible, his, 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 his duties, he's got food duties, and he's responsible for making dinner and lunch and stuff like that. And so uh, one of the priests says, um, he says, there are no spices. Where are the chips? And he says, somebody stole them. And he says back to him, did you not tell them they were the Lord's chips? And so that's what I think of. That's what I think of. Uh, no, I told you. I warned you guys. I'm, I'm kind of weird. Um, when, when I think about this, it feels like over the years, it's been stolen from us. It's been stolen. It's been taken away. It's been set aside. We said, no, that's just something the Jews do. That's just something, that's a part of their culture. That's a part of their identity. But I want you to turn back to, I want you to turn to Leviticus 23, because I want you to see something here. In Leviticus 23, notice what it says. 
Verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are your feast. Is that what it says? These are the feasts of Israel. Is that what it says? These are the feasts of the Jews. Is that what it says? What does it say? These are my feasts. These are the Lord's. Now, God did set aside this tiny nation called Israel. He did set them aside and say, hey, you are my inheritance. But when it comes to the feast, notice God says, these are mine. So these are the feast of the Lord. That word feast is in Hebrew, moed. It just means appointed times. These are the appointed times God has set aside. There are seven of them. Three of them occur in the spring. One is at the beginning of summer and three of them occur in the fall. And these, what is the purpose of these feasts? The purpose of these feasts, quite frankly, is so that God can have communion with his people. At the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's about God having communion, having fellowship, having a time set aside to spend with his people. And guys, they're the Lord's feast. And through thousands of years, we've allowed ourselves to not understand their significance. Now, I want you to understand something. The significance of anything we see in scripture 100% almost, no, not almost, always points to one person in history. In fact, the Bible is his story. It's about Jesus, Yeshua, whatever you want to call him. If you want to call him Jesus, hey, amen. If you want to call him Yeshua, hey, praise the Lord, brother. That's all good. But as long as you call upon his name. The Bible says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And fortunately for us, you know, I try to learn different languages. Fortunately for us, he understands all of them. If you call him Jesus, hey, he's got you covered. You call him Yeshua, he's got you covered. All right. So if you want to call Jesus Yeshua, Right. If there's the if these are things that you want to incorporate into your personal devotional life, you are absolutely more than welcome. It doesn't make you any more spiritual than anybody else. It doesn't make you more saved than anybody else. But there is a blessing. And so let's talk about this. These feasts. So we see here Leviticus chapter 23, the very first one. He says, look, these are my feast. And we can't start talking about the feast until we talk about one particular day. And verse three says, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. Now, it's very important that we frame this correctly because sometimes we look, we have a, a group of people who are so zealous for God. They are so zealous for understanding the root of their foundation, their beliefs and stuff like that, that they have actually gone to the extreme. They have said, you know what? 
it's so important that I know all this stuff that, you know what, we need to go back to the law. We need to live under Torah. We need to live under all 613 commands. And what they're forgetting over and over again, as we see in Hebrews, you guys, we've been going through Hebrews, right? Well, you remember that in Hebrews, the writer says the blood of many bulls and goats could never accomplish salvation. And so when we choose to go back and say, we're going to live under the sacrificial system, we're going to go back and live under the law, what you're essentially saying is that, hey, I better start finding a sheep farm. I better start finding some cattle. I need to start finding some animals I can sacrifice because you're basically saying that Yeshua's blood and sacrifice is not sufficient. And so we really have to be careful of that. God has called us. He's given us liberty to understand the freedom that we have in him. And yet at the same time, we can go back and look at how God was speaking through Israel and how he is speaking to us today. So let's start with Sabbath because this is a hot topic. Sabbath is a very hot topic because, by the way, Sunday is not the Sabbath. Sunday, today, is actually the first day of the week, believe it or not. In American society and culture, Monday is the first day of the week. But actually, this is the first day of the week. Sunday is. And why do we worship on this day? It's because it is the day that the Lord was resurrected. That's why, personally, I call it Resurrection Sunday. Or res- but whatever, that digress. Um, and so, Sabbath, Saturday, that is the appointed day of rest. Now, what does it matter? Why does it matter? What's, what's so important about that? Right? Because if you go to certain societies, you go to Israel, there's, there's these things that think, oh, I forgot the name. I'm so sorry. But basically, there is a, um, a string, a metal string that goes about maybe 100 meters or so like that. Basically, that is the length. And I, forgive me, I don't think I have the right number. But basically, they have predetermined the amount of distance you can walk on a Saturday so that you're not doing work. There are elevators in Israel that will only go up one floor at a time. Those are Sabbath elevators. Because to go up more than one floor constitutes more work. There are refrigerators you can buy. You can buy them here in the United States because we were when Harvey visited our house and destroyed all of our stuff and we had to buy new appliances. I was joking with Lindsay. He's like, hey, we can get a Sabbath refrigerator. There are refrigerators that will shut down on the Sabbath. Now... There is a zealousness for God where you miss the message of God. You see, the Pharisees had that problem. You see, what happened to them is that Israel was in captivity for 70 years in Babylon. And you know how people are. You know how when we mess up and something bad happens, we're like, we're never going to do that again. And so when they were coming back out of captivity, led by Nehemiah and Ezra and many other scribes, they said, hey, we will never make those mistakes again, so let's make sure we get it right. And so that's where the order of the Pharisees and the Sadducees came into being, so that by the time Jesus comes on the scene, you see that he's dealing with them. But notice he's not dealing with them and commending them for their zealousness. He's dealing with them and commending them for the fact that they missed the mark. They had a form of godliness, as Paul says, but they denied the power. They didn't understand the spirit that was working behind all of these things. And so here we are with the Sabbath. The Sabbath, no work shall be done. It is a solemn rest, a holy convocation. Why? Because on the seventh day, the Lord God rested from his creative work. And so what does that mean? Well, this is what it really means. This is what the Jews were supposed to get. The Jews were supposed to understand 
as they are the oracles, they are the keepers of the word of God. They are in a unique place where they can bless the world and share with the world who the Holy One really is because there are many gods out there and people are worshiping them and people were falling underneath the sway of these false gods. Israel was supposed to be a light to the world and no other country, no other society had a day of rest except Israel. And so what they were supposed to get, what they were supposed to try and understand is that, hey, this rest is not about cessation from physical labor. That's not what it's solely about. Remember, Jesus said that the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So if it's not man for the Sabbath and the Sabbath is for man, that means that there is a spiritual truth behind it. Why did God institute the Sabbath? He instituted the Sabbath so that people understand that there is a day of rest that is coming. There is a time where we will rest from our labor to be righteous before God. There is a time where we will have rest in God's provision for our sins. There is a time coming where we will have rest and we will be in the presence of God forever and we will enjoy him forever and see his beautiful face and we will not have to worry about our sins causing us to be separated from him. There is a day of rest coming. That Sabbath rest is Yeshua. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And so all 613 laws, all the Ten Commandments, all these things point to, guess who? Yeshua. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but they are those that speak of him. I won't say me because that gets kind of weird, you know, like, you know, we quote the Lord. and you're, Okay, whatever. Um, He's saying that those things speak of him. And so when we go back and read the Old Testament, and why I want to challenge you guys to do, because we sometimes think, oh, it's the Old Testament. It's old, right? It's old. Set in his ways. I don't want to read that. We need to understand that we need to be looking for someone. Our Bible is not just Matthew through the book of Revelation. Our Bible is from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, he is the beginning. By the way, the very first word in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 is Bereshit. That means beginning. He is the beginning. He is the end. And so everything in the Bible points to him. It is, after all, his story. So Sabbath points to Yeshua. When the apostles, not, not the apostles, I'm sorry, when God gave them the law, the Ten Commandments. When God gave them the Levitical procedures, sacrifices, and Deuteronomy, and, um, um, and so forth. When God gives them these things, what should have happened as they are going through this process, because by the way, there was a morning sacrifice, and there's an evening sacrifice. And then on Sabbath, there's an extra Sabbath sacrifice in addition to the morning and evening sacrifice. And there was a new month. There was a new month sacrifice. And if it fell on a Sabbath, there was a new month sacrifice plus a Sabbath sacrifice plus a morning sacrifice plus an evening sacrifice. And if there was an appointed feast, there's a sacrifice that goes with that feast. And if it's a new year, there's a sacrifice that goes with that new year. And so these guys in Israel, they should be the best barbecuers in the world, right? <laughs> Right. If we want brisket, that's the place we probably should be going. Some of us may think, well, Texas is now Israel. Aaron, um, Texas has replaced Israel. That's replacement theology. 
<laughs> but the reality is, at some point, and notice, anybody know what color their clothing was, these priests they walk around in? What color was their clothing? Well, well, you're getting ahead of the story there, sir. But yes, it was white. And by the time, by the end of the day, it would be red. Now think about this. You're, in the morning, you're killing a lamb, you're slicing, you know, slitting his throat, draining the blood out, cooking it. In the evening, you're killing a lamb, slicing his throat, draining the blood out, cooking it. Oh, it's Sabbath. Okay, I've got to kill three lambs, slice their throats, drain the blood out, you know, cook it, stuff like that. At some point, if I'm someone like that, I'd be thinking, you know, it'd be really cool. It'd be really cool if we could just kill one lamb and be done with it. You would think, somebody would probably think that, right? I would, right? I'd be like, you know what? Why can't we just kill one and be done with it? Well, guess what? What did Abraham say to his son Isaac? As they're going up there, Isaac says, Lord, we have, um, we have all the, the tools for the sacrifice. We have the wood, uh, but where's the lamb? And what does Abraham say to his son? My son, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. It sounds like awkward English, but there was, it was intentional. Think about what it's saying. The Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. And so the Lord truly did provide himself. He provided his only begotten son. He gave us Yeshua. That's why John says, behold, the lamb who comes to take away the sins of the world. You see, the people of Israel, what they should have been noticing with all the commands and all the sacrifices and resting on Sabbath, all these things they should have noticed is that, hey, this is pointing to an appointed time when God will send his Messiah and he will cover and take care of all of our sins. And that's what we're looking forward to. So. I wanted to make sure we talked about Sabbath. You know, is it, is it okay to rest on Saturdays? Yes, absolutely. But when you rest on Saturdays, you need to be intentional in understanding why you're resting. You need to be intentional to understand that you are resting in the fact that you don't have to work to earn your way into heaven. You don't have to try and clothe yourself with your own righteousness because you have already, if you have accepted if you accepted God, if you accepted uh, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, if you allowed him to be the propitiation for your sins such that it covers your sins and it has put you into a right relationship with God, then you can rest in the work that God has done through his son, period. And that, my friends, is a Sabbath rest. Now, our brothers and sisters in Israel, those who are will come into the, into the knowledge of Messiah. They don't know that yet. There are some brothers and sisters who are, who are messianic. Uh, in other words, they believe in Yeshua. They understand that, and it is beautiful to them. But there are brothers and sisters who don't know that. And the Lord's going to deal with them. The Lord's going to help them to see that. Um, and our brothers and sisters around the world need to know and understand and receive that Sabbath rest that God has for us. So this is Moed. It means appointed time, appointed place. It's a meeting. Uh, God has set these things aside. Uh, these are holy convocations. Understand that. It's holy. It is separate to God. It is for the Lord because God 
could have just made all of creation and hung out by himself, the spirit and the son and the father. But God, because his heart is so rich with love and because he desires to lavish upon creation, his love made us and brought us into this world. And so therefore we serve a God of love. We serve a God of fellowship. We serve a God of community who wants us to be a part of what he is doing. And so he says, look, I'm setting aside seven appointed times. Now, here's what's awesome about this. Everything points to Jesus. Everything communicates to him. There are seven feasts. So let me just quickly share with you what, those, what these are. We have the Feast of Passover. We have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We have the Feast of First Fruits. We have the Feast of the Harvest, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, real quick, the first three, Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, those are typically in the spring uh, according to the Gregorian calendar, that's the calendar that we kind of uh, do our work by. It's a solar calendar, by the way. The Jews didn't operate on a solar calendar. They operated on a lunar calendar, which basically kind of messes things up because uh, what they have to do is they have to add another month at the end of their year called Adar, Adar 2. And so every once in a while, they have to insert a 13th month into their calendar just to make sure everything lines up correctly. But again, we have three of these feasts that take place during the spring. One takes place in early summer, and then three of them take place in the fall. And that's why we're doing this, because on September 7th, this Tuesday, the Jews will be celebrating Rosh Hashanah, which is, for them, the new year. Now, we're going to talk more specifically about that next Sunday. We're going to talk about that. Uh, it's called the Feast of Trumpets. And then right after the Feast of Trumpets, we have the Day of, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And right after the Day of Atonement, we have the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as Sukkot. But for today, let's just kind of cover uh, the first three. By the way, um, around Christmas time, we'll also talk about something called Hanukkah. Hanukkah is also for us as believers, believe it or not, to talk about and understand the richness associated. By the way, did you know Jesus was in Jerusalem to celebrate Hanukkah? And then uh, in the spring or early, um, we also have another one. It's kind of a, another unofficial feast, but that feast is called Purim. Purim, we see directly from the book of Esther, is the celebration that the Jews instituted as a result of God uh, providing deliverance from Haman. If our kids were here, they would go, they hiss, because that's what they do. When you say the word Haman, you're supposed to hiss, but whatever. Next Sunday, we'll see if you guys get it. But for now, we're going to focus on understanding a couple of things. We want to talk about the feasts that have already taken place. And it's important that we do this as a foundational thing. So verse 4 says, these are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. Notice that God has appointed the times for them to be proclaimed. God has set them in order. That word is called actually in Hebrew, seder. Uh, so if you ever heard of a seder feast, you ever heard of a seder meal? Anybody heard of that? That word in Hebrew actually means to set things in order. And so he's appointed this. These are his holy convocations. He says in verse 5, the 14th day of the first month. Notice this is God talking to Moses. And Moses now is to communicate this to the children of Israel. This is not Moses making this up. 
All right, this is the Lord. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the first month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. Now I know you're probably thinking right now, you just said, Aaron, hold on, hold on, hold on. You said Tuesday is the new year for Jews, religious Jews. But this right here says the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Okay, Tuesday is in September. Passover is in the spring. Good thought. We'll talk about that next Sunday. I'll explain what's going on there. For now, just focus on the time of Passover being the first, first month. And so, but you shall offer, verse 8, on the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. In other words, you shall rest. Verse 8, but you shall, you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day must shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. Okay, so we have Passover. We guys, we, we know the story of Passover, right? God is in the process of bringing his people out of Egypt. He made a promise to Abraham. Uh, he said to Abraham, or Abraham prophesied, said, well, God was telling Abraham what was going to happen. He said, your, your descendants are going to be in, in Egypt for 400 years, but I will bring them back. I will bring a leader. I will bring them back, and I will bring them into the land that I promised to you, Abraham. And so we're, we're seeing that right now. We're seeing that here is Moses. He is hearing from the Lord. Uh, it's on the eve of what God is about to do. And what's about to come? The uh, destroyer is about to come. The destroyer who is going to accurately and pinpoint kill the firstborn throughout all of Egypt. And what was the only way you could avoid your firstborn dying? Or if you're the firstborn being killed? You had to take a lamb into your house on the 10th day. And on the 10th day, you would take this lamb into your house. And on the 14th day, what would you do with this lamb? After it's been in a house with you, it's your kids have played with it, cuddled with it, slept with it. Your kids have, uh, you've, you've gotten attached to this lamb. You, you've probably given it a name, um, all these other things. On the 14th day, what do you do? You are to kill it. You are to slit its throat. You are to drain all the blood out. And you're to take that blood and you're to take that blood and you're going to sprinkle it on the doorpost, Right? the top and on the sides, a horizontal mark and a vertical mark. And what image does that give us? It gives us the image of the cross, the blood of Yeshua sprinkled on that cross. The Bible says, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. In the wilderness, as the Israelites are going through, God is bringing them out of the wilderness. All of a sudden, there's this plague that comes. Vipers are biting people. God tells Moses, I want you to create a serpent made out of bronze, put it on a pole, and I want you to put it in front of the, the people so that when they look on the serpent, if they look and have faith, guess what's going to happen to them? They will be saved. But if they choose not to look upon the serpent, look upon the thing that's cursed, guess what's going to happen to them? They will perish. And so it is a perfect image of Jesus being put on the cross, basically saying, look, if you look to my provision, if you look to my Yeshua, you will be saved. But if you choose not to look, then you will not be by the way, there's an interesting uh, thing to think about here. Israel was God's chosen. He chose Israel out of all the nations. God elected Israel. Think about that. He elected him. But not all of Israel was saved. He elected this group of people. 
Yet still, they still had to make a choice to either accept God's provision or reject it. Just something to think about. So this is Passover. And also, not only did they have this, uh, this lamb whose blood that they took, but they also had to bake their bread and their bread had to be without leaven. And, and for, for, we got scholars in the room. What, what does leaven represent in the Bible? Sin. sin. Oh, man, you guys are awesome. All right. So leaven represents sin. And part of the reason why the bread had to be unleavened is because they did not have time for it to rise. Because once the destroyer killed the firstborn, that was it. Pharaoh's going to be like, okay, get out of here. I don't want to see you guys anymore. Get out of here. And so they had to take off. They had to be ready to go. And you know what? As, as believers, when we hear the call of the Lord upon our lives, we are not to stop and say, well, I want to, let me just finish doing this, or, or let me just finish living this lifestyle, or, or let me just go back and do this. No, it, when you hear God's call, you are to respond immediately. You are to be ready to go. You have heard Jesus speaking. You have heard the Holy Spirit. You have heard the Father parting the clouds, coming down and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You've heard it. You now need to allow your feet to move in obedience to the spoken word. And so the, the bread was unleavened. And plus, also, the bread, leaven representing sin, meant that, hey, look, you know, there is no room for sin anymore. There's no room to partake in the ways of the world. You are now chosen and holy, separate unto the Lord. You are a royal priesthood, as Peter says it. You belong to the Lord. And so let's keep on. Let's move on. The Feast of First Fruits, verse 9. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to, him, say to them, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits, a portion of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf. So he's going to take, he's going to take this grain. He's going to wave it. Wave it before the Lord to be accepted on behalf, on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it, and you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord. So you're going to take this and you're going to burn it. You're going to completely consume it and give it to the Lord for a sweet aroma. And its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. You shall eat, neither eat bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. So... Uh, to this day, throughout their generations, no matter where they live, this is something that a Jewish person, an observant Jew, should be doing. Let's move on, verse 15. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. So we're talking about 49 days here. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain. So this is 50 days. You shall offer new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave uh, loaves of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. Hmm. They are first fruits to the Lord. 
So the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we had unleavened bread without any leaven in it whatsoever. But now we're seeing here with the Feast of Weeks that these are two loaves with leaven. What does that mean? We'll talk about that. You shall offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams. They shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats as a sin offering and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of peace offering. The priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest and you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you. It is a holy time, it is an appointed time by the Lord. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statue forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap. All right, so leave the corners, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord of your gods. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Anybody know somebody that um, specialized in reaping the corners of fields and gleaning? Anybody remember? Ruth. We talked about her, right? God brought this Moabite woman. And what's special about her? She becomes an ancestor of who? Or great-grandmother of who? David. And David is the ancestor of who? Okay, fine, you want to use English for it, that's fine. <laughs> Absolutely, amen, amen. Now we're going to stop here. We're not going to go to verse 23 because it's um, for the purpose of this message. We're just going to talk about the very first week's um, first, uh, first feast. Um, once you understand something, when they talk about waving, waving these sacrifices, waving it before the Lord, Right? When you think about going out into a field of wheat and you see the wind blowing on it, right? what does the wind do? The wheat, what does it do? It bows. It bows. You know how you can tell a tear from a wheat, uh, a stalk of wheat from a stalk of a tear? Is that the tear doesn't bow down, but the wheat does. And what is that symbolic of? It's symbolic of our worship. When we talk about that worship is not just music. It's not just songs. Worship actually reflects, if you really want to look at it, your physical posture before God. To worship the Lord literally means to get on your hands and knees and bow down before him. And then it's also reflected in music. It's reflected in our singing. It's reflected. But what, is that, what should I tell you? I should tell you that worship is your life. It is a life live where I will bow before my king. I'm going to bow before my creator. I'm going to humble my heart before him. I'm going to humble my mind before him. I'm going to submit everything to him. That's worship. So when you're waving these offerings, you're bringing this wheat. You're saying, Lord, I worship you. I'm sending this to you. I'm giving this back to you. I'm giving you the fruit of my fields. I'm giving you the first of all that I have because you are worthy, Lord, and I recognize that this comes from you. You have blessed me, Lord. It is not because of my acumen or skills. It is because of you. 
Now, before we step into some of the meanings, uh, there's a couple of passages. I didn't, I didn't send those to Mike, but I apologize. But um, some passages for you to review later on. Exodus chapter 12, verse 14 and verse 17. This day shall be unto you for a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. So uh, 17 talks about uh, observing the feast of unleavened bread. Um, Exodus chapter 23, if you guys want to write these down and kind of look at these later on, chapter 23, verse 14 through 16, again, talking about the feast. First Kings chapter 12, verse 32 to 33, I want to mention this one because um, at, at one point, uh, Rehoboam, who was the son of Solomon, who took over, uh, who, who's inherited the kingdom, um, he listened to the advice of his, of his homies, right? He, he heard what they had to say. He didn't follow the advice of the elders. And so the kingdom was torn from him. Um, and really it came back to Solomon because Solomon's great sin and that he multiplied wives and that he allowed them to change his heart. He started following idols and stuff like that. And so God told Solomon he would take the kingdom from him, um, or at least he would tear 10 of the tribes. But this guy named Jeroboam becomes the guy uh, Jeroboam of the tribe of Ephraim, he becomes the guy that rules the what we call Israel or the northern kingdom. Another name for the northern kingdom is Ephraim. That's going to be very important a little bit later on from a prophetic standpoint because the book of Ezekiel says that God is going to join the house of Ephraim with the house of Judah. He's going to make them these two separate sticks. He's going to make them one stick again. So God is going to do that work. But Jeroboam it says in verse 32, ordained a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month and like unto the feast that is in Judah. Notice that. See, when we're talking about what we're talking about in Leviticus chapter 23, verse one, these are God's appointed times. These are this. These are the Moeds, Moedim. This is God's appointed feast. But Jeroboam comes along because he wants to keep the children. He, he wants those those tribes, the 10 northern tribes to not go back down to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. He wants to keep them where they are. So he comes up with his own version of the feast. And I want you guys to understand that we're going to see that when the Antichrist is. Well, my eschatology says I'll be in heaven, right? I'm pre-trib. But we will see that with the Antichrist. The Antichrist will bring about his own version of things. The book of Revelation says that uh, 144,000 uh, people, Jews, will be sealed with the mark of God. And then we read later on that the Antichrist will cause many people, great and small, to be sealed with the mark of the beast. Now, by the way, um, for those of you wondering if the mark of the beast is alive and present today, there are a couple of things that have to take place. Number one, we have to be gone. So if we're still here, that's very problematic for me because I'm pre-trib. And so that, that means I need to really examine, I'm going to go to my prayer closet tonight and find out why I haven't been raptured yet if the mark of the beast is already here. Number two, the Antichrist has to be on the scene. That's what the Word of God tells us in the book of Revelation. So if you're hearing chatter out there that the mark of the beast, that people are taking the mark, whatever, it's not true. Okay. All right, and people need to rightly divide the word of truth. Okay, so just want to give you that assurance. If we're still here, even if, even if it's not pre-trip, okay, even if it's not pre-trip, even if it's mid-trip or post-trip, get away from me, fly. 
the Antichrist has to be on the scene. Does anybody know who the Antichrist is? Right, exactly. And, and you know, really, we shouldn't be looking for the Antichrist. We should be looking for our returning Redeemer, right? Okay. Uh, but I wanted to point that out to you because, again, Satan always tries to offer a counterfeit to what God has established. Um, moving on, Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, verse 14 and 18. You can write this down. Um, when the Israelites, they come back, they're allowed. Cyrus allows them to come back from Babylon. Uh, they're in the Babylonian captivity. And actually, they're, um, yeah, th during Cyrus's time, there's actually a Medo-Persian uh, empire that's reigning at this point. Um, it says, and they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feasts of the seventh month. Talking about Sukkot. And, and what's important about that, just briefly, is that uh, sometimes we forget what God has asked us to do. And so they had forgotten what God had told them to do. They had forgotten here in Leviticus 23 what God had commanded as a holy convocation. And so they are coming back. They come back to Jerusalem and are saying, wait a second, guys, we blew it. We need to get back to what God is telling us to do. Psalm 81, verse 3, blow up the trumpet in the new moon in the time appointed on our solemn feast day. We'll talk about that one more specifically next week. Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 2, verse 5, verse 17, you know that after two days is the feast of Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. So we see, even in the New Testament, we're seeing the mentioning of uh, the feast as well. Matthew 27, 15, uh, the governor wants to release unto the people. We know Pilate wanted to release someone uh, uh, as a result. because it, Why did he want to release somebody? Because it was a feast day. It was Passover. Um, let's see, I'll give you guys another one. Uh, how about Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 42? Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. So uh, the whole point, and I won't, uh, I have a lot more, but I'm not going to share all of them with you, is that um, it's throughout Scripture. This is not just an Old Testament thing. Okay? It's there. And it's available for us as believers. And now the question becomes then, how then do we deal with this? What, what, what's, how, do we, how do we incorporate this into our lives? Well, let's go back to Passover. So some references for Passover. Of course, we have Leviticus chapter 23. We talked about that. John chapter 1 verse 29, uh, chapter, uh, verse 35 through 36, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 through 19, Revelation chapter 5 verse 12. You see, Jesus is, as we said before, our Passover lamb. He is the lamb, not a lamb, but he is the lamb who took away our sins. And in fact, in Revelation chapter 5, if you were to go and look there, it says that as John is watching scenes unfolding from heaven because there is a set of scrolls and no one is worthy to open the scrolls, to break the seals and read the scrolls. And so, but then he said, that there's someone comes along and says, oh, hey, don't worry, behold, the Lamb of God is here and he is able to open the scrolls. So that's in Revelation chapter 5. Go read that when you get a chance. And uh, John describes him. He saw a lamb that looked as if it had just been slain. Or not just been, but a lamb that looked as if it had been slain. Its throat was slid. And that lamb is who? It's Jesus. It's Yeshua. He is our Passover lamb. He is the one who took away our sins. 
So when, when God instructs them to apply the blood of the lamb to their do doorposts and lintels, he's commemorating this meal to always remember his deliverance. The fire-roasted lamb, Jesus, bitter herbs, his bitter suffering and death, unleavened bread, the fact that he was sinless. The Lord told the Israelites to observe this rite as a statue for you and for your sons forever, even when in a foreign land. And we know that the name of Jesus is salvation, save now. And so um, I'm sure, has anyone taken a part of a Seder meal, Passover meal? Has anyone taken part of that? Yeah, so, so many different elements, all those elements point to the different things that happened to the Jews coming out of Egypt. But the reality is, even deeper behind the scenes, is that they all point to Yeshua, every one of them. And so uh, during a Seder meal, there's a really, 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 really cool part of the meal called um, uh, the hiding of, of the Afikomen, right? It's a Greek word. It's actually not a Hebrew word, but basically uh, there are three pieces, pieces of matzah, unleavened bread, three pieces of matzah, three. Did you hear me? There's three pieces. They take one and it's broken and it's hidden in a piece of cloth. And it's hidden somewhere in the house, and the youngest has to go find it. And then we bring it out. They bring out this piece of matzah that has been broken. And by the way, when you look at a piece of matzah, it's got these little holes in it. What does that look like, y'all? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Right? He was broken for us. That second matzah, the one that's hidden, represents... Messiah, all right? And we have three, the Father, the, uh, the Spirit, and we have this broken pizza matzah that's hidden and is not found until the end of the meal. And who is it found by? Is it found by the oldest? No, it's found by the youngest. What does that mean? What did Jesus say? To come to him, we have to be as what? We have to be as children. So it's so powerful. And for thousands of years, Jews have been celebrating and observing the Seder meal, and they have not seen Yeshua in it. But here we are as believers, and we can go back and look at Passover. We can look at this meal and say, you know what? There's my Savior. That's my Savior. That is the one who died for my sins. That is the one who rose again. That is the one in whom I have life. And so it's brought back to the table, it's distributed to everyone, and it's eaten as a final food. And so we know that when Jesus left the earth, uh, he was rejected. He says he was broken. He says in communion with his disciples, take and eat, this is my body, broken for you. We're going to do that today. We're going to remember what the Lord did. Let's go on to um, uh, unleavened bread. All right. Leviticus 23, verse 6. Oh, let me back up. So if you're wondering, when was Passover this year? Passover this year was March 27. Okay? Now, I mentioned something about the Gregorian calendar and the lunar calendar. Passover and Easter don't always match up. Because we've chosen to live by a solar calendar. And the Jews still operate, the religious calendar is still in, on a lunar cycle. All right. So just keep that in mind. It's, it's not salvational. It's not like something worth separating over. But just keep that in mind next year. 
when Passover comes around, when, when Easter kind of comes around, just kind of think about that. Like, okay, when is Passover? Because this is the time, this is the time when you would really want to celebrate and think about, okay, this is when the Lord died for our sins. This is Passover. And you know what? Take it. Own it. All right? Incorporate that into your daily worship of the Lord. All right, unleavened bread, we talked about that. Leaven means uh, there's no yeast in it. It represents or symbolic of not having any sin. And so it celebrates the journey of the children of Israel through the wilderness. What happened in the wilderness when they left Egypt and they're crying out for food? What did God provide for them? Manna, manna, what is that exactly, right? God provides this food. They have no idea what it is. They say, God, what is this? this? And God says, this is the bread that I'm giving you. And so ma in Hebrew means what? Mana, what is this? And so we see that God provides food for them. Um, in fact, before the mana was given, they, ate, they actually ate unleavened bread for 30 days. And then God gives them manna. And so do you guys remember John chapter 6? Maybe not, but in John chapter 6, Jesus tells him, he's talking to the Pharisees. And they're, he, actually, no, I'm sorry, he's not talking to the Pharisees. He's in, he's in Cana, he's in Gal, the Galilee area, and he's talking to the people he has just fed. It says that he has just fed a bunch of people, and they're following him. And he says, you're not following me because of what I'm doing or who I am. You're following me so that you can be filled. And they're like, give us this bread. Give us some food to eat. And Jesus says, look, guys, Moses gave you bread in the wilderness, but that bread speaks of him. Jesus is the bread of life. And it's important we understand he's the bread of life because the bread of life is without sin. The bread of life brings us into a relationship with God. It brings us into communion with God because there's no sin in it. It is perfect. It is pure. It is spotless. It is blameless, and therefore, if we eat of the bread that God has given us, not only will it sustain us through today, but it, it is sufficient to sustain us for all eternity because it has separated us and sanctified us and justified us through him. So where he is right now, where is the Lord? He is, he is at his father's right hand. He sits by his father's side until the end of tribulation. Um, and, but he is the bread of life and we feast on him. We, we partake in his offering. And so that's why unleavened bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is very important. It's a feast that takes place over seven days. This year it was March 28th through April 3rd. So again, it harkens back to the Jews going through the wilderness. And the great thing about going through the wilderness is that there's not a lot of water in the wilderness. All right? There's not a lot of McDonald's or Whataburgers in the wilderness or anything like that. You can't just go to a fast food place and just order up a fresh meal. And so they had to rely upon God's sustainment day by day, step by step, moment by moment. And God sustained them with water and he sustained them with his bread. So unleavened bread... That's that feast, and that's how it points to Jesus. By the way, in Matthew 26, 29, Jesus speaking to uh, the Pharisees, or speaking to his disciples um, in, at the Last Supper, says, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my kingdom. We know that the Lord is going to come back, and when he comes back, he will finally fulfill 
everything that is left hanging uh, when we talk about this, um, when we talk about communion a little bit later on. There's uh, first fruits, Leviticus chapter three, 23, verse 10. This took place on this year, Saturday, March 28th. Uh, it notice it started the same day as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the, what's interesting about this is that the priests sacrificed Passover lambs on the 14th day of the month of Nisan. We saw that. The first day of Passover was the 15th day. The Feast of First Fruits was commemorated or celebrated on the third day. First Fruits. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Christ is the first fruits. What are we talking about here? On the third day after the Passover lamb was sacrificed, they celebrated the first fruits. You see, the first fruits points to the fact that Jesus was risen on the third day. And Paul says he is the first fruits. He is the firstborn among many brethren. He is the new Adam. He is the one who was risen up and he was given a new body, one that one day we will also receive. We will be changed, we'll be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. And, and John says we will see him face to face because we will be just like him. Not that we'll be the son of God, second in authority, but we will be transformed. And so first fruits points to the very first buds, the very first harvest, the very first celebration. And it's a joyous occasion, by the way. It's a joyous occasion. Because for us as believers, this is the day that Jesus was resurrected. But for the Jews, this was the day when the first fruits of their harvest came in, which assured them that they would have a harvest to reap in the fall. So it was a promissory note to say, hey, you're going to have food to feed your family later on this year. And so it's a promissory note to us to say, hey, you know what? As Christ is risen, so too will we. As he rises, so too will I rise. As he was transformed, so too will I be transformed. As he has been glorified by his Father, so too one day we will be glorified by the Father, taken up off this earth to dwell with him forever. He is our first fruits. And finally, this is the exciting one. All right, I'm excited. You guys excited? You guys excited? All right, all right, here we go. Feast of Weeks. Uh, the Hebrew name for that is Shavuot, but we have a name that we're more familiar with. Anybody want to take a wild guess at that one? Pentecost. Levitic Leviticus chapter 23, verse 16. Today it took place, or this year, it took place on May 16th, and we see this in Acts chapter 2. It says, on the day of Pentecost, what happened? They were in the upper room, and they were seeking the Lord together, just as we're seeking the Lord together. They were praying. They were worshiping God. And what happened? The Holy Spirit came down. All right. And it sat upon the heads of the apostles 
And they began to speak in tongues. They began to prophesy and tell of the great things of God. And it says that people who were there for the feast of Shavuot, Jews, why were they there in Jerusalem? They were there to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. And as they hear them saying of the great things of God, they're like, oh, these guys, man, it's, they're already drunk. And Peter's like, no, 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 we're not drunk, bro. We're full, but we're not full of wine. We're full of the Spirit. And they start telling these men, Peter gets up and God uses him in a mighty way and he starts preaching the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us that 3,000 people got saved that day. That is the birth of the church. Now, what's interesting about Shavuot is that tradition says that this is the same time, that this is the exact moment that God gave the law. This same day. So think about this in your mind. The Hebrews, the Israelites, they're in the wilderness, right? They're hanging out with the Lord. Moses goes up for 40 days and 40 nights. By the way, you realize that's a miracle, by the way? Because he says he went up there and he didn't eat or drink for 40 days and 40 nights. We don't really think about that. I remember when I first thought about that, it just blew my mind. But anyway, 40 days and 40 nights without food. He's in the presence of God. So cool to know that God can sustain us, right? Um, And he comes down, he comes down with the law. The tradition has it that this is the day that Moses brought the law to the people. Now think about this. The law was our tutor. The law can't save us. The law shows us like a mirror how far from salvation we are. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter how good you are, no matter how many times you fast, you will never be good enough. We'll never be holy enough. And so God gave the law to his people to set the pace, to set the example, to set the standard. But then now Yeshua is here and now he's gone up to be with the father and God gives us the spirit. You see, the spirit is what we're sealed by. The spirit indwells us. The spirit is that promise ring that says the Lord is coming back for you. And so we went from a law of letter to a spirit relationship with God. Remember, what did Jesus say to the woman at the well? He says, the day is coming and now is when the true worshipers of God will worship him in spirit and in truth. And the Father is looking for such to worship him as such. So God gave Moses the law, the law which could not save. But in the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, God gave us his spirit, his spirit which indwells us. Not everybody was indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That's why David said in Psalm 51, don't take your spirit from me. Not everyone had that. But as believers, we have his spirit. And by the way, we're told we shouldn't grieve his spirit. But man, you know, how often we grieve his spirit, right? That spirit, that covenant of grace. You see, the covenant in Moses, that Mosaic covenant was conditional. It says, if you do good, I will bless you. If you do bad, I will curse you. If you want proof of that, go to Deuteronomy chapter 28, and you'll see the blessings uh, from Mount Gerzim that were pronounced, and you'll see the curses that were pronounced from Mount Ebal. But the covenant that we are under, praise the Lord, is a covenant of grace. You know what kind of covenant that is? It is unconditional. It says, basically, look, I've already done the work. You need to believe. I've already paid the price. You need to walk and trust. 
I have already covered your sins. You need to rejoice. So Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, Pentecost, Pentecost, 50 days after um, Acts chapter 2, the church is given the Holy Spirit, right? And the great thing about the Holy Spirit is that the Lord uh, basically allowed himself to be localized to a body. You know, Jesus before um, just says, hey, you know, I'm going to be in this body. I'm going to be in this flesh. But the Holy Spirit can indwell all of us. So um, one more thing to think about is this, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 5 through 6. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. So basically, what Isaiah is seeing, God is allowing Isaiah to sort of listen in on a conversation between the father and the son. There's this conversation in heaven between God the Father and God the Son. Now listen to what it says. Verse 6, he says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You see, God from the beginning wasn't just interested in just bringing the nation of Israel into salvation, but it was in his heart from the beginning to save the entire world. And that's why John chapter 316, it, it just agrees with that so much. For God so loved, not just Israel, but the world. Right? That's what we build our foundation on. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6 says, uh, Paul says, the Gentiles are declared to be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise. So in Pentecost, we see this beautiful picture. One more thing I want to um, point out to you is that what they were required to do during Pentecost is they were required to bring to the priests two loaves of bread with leaven. And what do we say leaven represents again? So who could those, who could those two loaves of bread represent? Jews and Gentiles. Isn't that beautiful? We, all the way, it was there. It was there the whole time. It's there the whole time. God just declaring his love for the entire world. God declaring that he wanted Israel to be a part of what he was doing, but also that he wanted to be a part of the nations, also to be a part of who he is and um, his covenant. So let me get ready to close here. Um, what's the point? Okay, this is all fine and dandy. This is really nice little decorative uh, thing you got here. Um, by the way, it's a tally, it's a prayer cloth. Um, but what's the point in all this, right? Are you, are you trying to get me to have a bar mitzvah? I'm way past 13, dude. I mean, come on, what's going on, all right? What's the point, all right? Well, um, I want you to understand something. In Romans chapter 11, it says that we are grafted in. Paul is speaking to the church at Romans. He's writing this letter, um, and he's talking about the rejection of Israel, and he says, look, if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And so we see that. We know that God has not broken his promise to Israel. One day God is going to then uh, again start dealing with Israel as a nation. And he's going to start working with them and he's going to start uh, saving them. But for now, they are out there. But he says, Paul goes on to say, verse 17, 
But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but my point is, the point is this. Some of them were broken off so that we might be grafted in. We are grafted in. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. It says, uh, Paul says that we are naturalized citizens. Uh, he says that, uh, verse 11, Therefore remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, in other words, you were called uh, uh, Gentiles, goyim, by what is called the circumcision, in other words, the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So Paul is not just talking about the incarnation of the Lord during his time, his 33 years on the earth, but he, he's talking about Christ throughout the history of God or the history of mankind. He's saying you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Notice what he's saying. We were aliens. We were not citizens of the commonwealth of Israel. But now because of the blood of Jesus, we have been brought near. We have been naturalized. We have been made citizens of what he's doing. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, uh, chapter 1 verse 3 through 14, that section says that we are sons and daughters. All right. Uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Amen, amen, and amen, that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. And even as he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Praise you, Lord. Thank you for that. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. We have been predestined for adoption, right? I love that. I love that. As, as, a, as a person who grew up without his dad, who didn't have my father in my life, it's so awesome to know that I have a heavenly father who said, I am adopting you. I'm giving you my name. I'm going to teach you and show you what it means to be my son. And so we have been adopted. Verse 11 says we have obtained an inheritance. You know, the great thing is like, uh, not only am I adopted, not only am I, is my name changed, but I've been also, I am also have the privilege of partaking in the inheritance of a son of God. And so if you have a relationship with the Lord, you, my brother, are an adopted son. You, my sister, are an adopted daughter, and you have a right, you have something to lay hold on, to claim on, of the inheritance of God through his son, Jesus. And finally, Romans chapter 8, verse 16 through 17, Paul says we are joint heirs. Not, not, only, not only are we inheritors, but we're joint heirs. And why is that important? Because Jesus is the firstborn. And in, in the way in that culture, the firstborn always gets the greater inheritance. But think about what God is saying to us. He is blessing us so that we can be co-heirs, joint heirs with his son. Isn't that amazing? The spirit himself itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, 
that we may be also glorified together. So what does it all matter? What, what's the point? What's the point in talking about all this stuff? What's the point in talking about, you know, this talit? What's the point in talking about having a menorah or should I not have a menorah? Should I wear a kippah, whatever? You know, that's between you and the Lord. But I want you to understand something. Um, I think of it like this. The Bible says that in Romans, we are grafted in, but the root is the Lord. Right? So some of these branches are broken off. The root is God, but we're grafted in. We were taken out of this world, the wild root. That's what we were. And we are grafted in. And so God has a beautiful work that he's doing. But I really love the fact, because like my dad wasn't in my life, I really love the fact that of being adopted. You know, we got Thanksgiving coming up, right? All right. We, we, do we have any turkey eaters for Thanksgiving or ham? Turkey or ham? Who's turkey? Who's ham? Who's both? All right. Ooh, touch now. You know, so if I were, let's say I live in China, and, or let's say I'm moving to China, and there's this family, and, and they're in Beijing, and they're like, you know what, Aaron, we really love you. We're going to adopt you. We're going to give you a new name. We're going to bring you into our family. Well, and on Thanksgiving, I'm like, well, you know, I eat turkey on Thanksgiving. And they're like, well, that's great, Aaron, but in our family, we eat duck. Guess what's going to happen? I've been adopted into this family their traditions now become my traditions. The things that they do, the things that they love, the things that they enjoy now becomes the things that I do, the things I love, the things that I enjoy. And so how do I apply this? Well, I've been grafted in. I'm a new citizen. I've been adopted. And to me, there is a richness in understanding what I've been adopted into. This family, this commonwealth of Israel, uh, these feasts that have happened, what does it mean? How can I apply it to my life? How can I walk, how can my walk with the Lord be that much sweeter as I think about what God has done? And I wanna encourage you, um, you know, pray about that. You know, what is it that God is saying? How can you apply these things to your lives? Remember though, no matter what, remember that you have been brought into his kingdom. He has called you his son. He has called you his daughter. He has lavished upon you his love. He has made you his own. And that is something we can celebrate. One last thing is um, to kind of close this out. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the Feast of Trumpets. I want you to understand something. We've covered four of the seven feasts. And what's significant about that is that the Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, has fulfilled those four. The last three have not been fulfilled yet. And it's going to be very interesting as we talk about those things over the next, the course of next, the next three Sundays. Amen? Amen. So, um, uh, Lord, we come before you. We just want to thank you, Lord, for um, your goodness and your mercy, Lord. How sweet you are. How amazing you are. What, what wonders, Lord, to know that we have been brought into your kingdom. We have been adopted. We have been blessed, Lord, by you. We have been sustained by you. Lord, help us understand where we sit in all this. Thank you, Jesus, that you've accomplished the work. You know, I think about the, peace, the Feast of Passover. I think about those priests. They're always killing, always killing, always sacrificing. They were always, always working to cover, working to ensure people 
would have their sins covered. But Jesus, you died once, and it says that you sit at the right hand of the Father. You sat down because you sit down because the work is done. The work is accomplished. And maybe someone here today or someone watching, you don't have that assurance. You don't have that assurance that your sins have been covered. You are working and striving and trying to be good. You're trying to justify yourself before God. But the sweet message in all this is that, look, you know, we, have, we don't have to strive. We can rest in what Jesus has done. And Jesus, you've accomplished it all. So whoever you are, just know that you can call upon his name. Whether you speak English or Spanish or Hebrew, whatever, you can call upon his name. He hears. He knows and he sees. And if you call upon his name right now, believe in all your heart that he is the son of God and that he died for your sins and he's been risen and with him, you will rise again. You can have assurance. You can have Sabbath rest in Jesus. So right now we're about to partake in communion and um, the apostle Paul warned us that we should not take this lightly. We should examine our hearts. We should examine our lives, examine our walk to make sure that as we take, as we know the significance of now, we know how beautiful the message of the bread and the wine is. We, we need to make sure that we are doing this in a way that's honoring the Lord. If there's any sins in your life, any, anything that is preventing you from fully walking in the experience of knowing God, and being known of him. I just want to ask right now that you would just take the time to confess that to him right now. We are given the privilege of bringing everything to his cross. First John, it says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you do that right now? Just take a moment. <clears throat> 